Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning, Candeo family. Guys, it's, uh, it's so exciting to be with you this morning. I am absolutely pumped to open up God's Word and unpack this passage with you this morning. Uh, on the way in, uh, you were given a card that looks something like this. Can you pull this up for me? We're actually going to begin with a little uh, group activity. Uh, and I trust that uh, if you don't have a pen, somebody near you will have one. So this also involve getting to know your neighbors a bit today. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to write on this card three names. Three names of people that you've honestly stopped believing that God could save. Or maybe as Christians, you're like, oh, I never should doubt the power of God. But like, but genuinely, like, these are three people that in your mind, in your experience, they're, they're so far gone, so lost, so broken, so hard-hearted, so frustrating, whatever, that you've lost hope. And maybe at one time you prayed for them, and now you can't remember the last time you prayed for them. So take some time. Again, I know we're going to have to pass some pens around, but I want you to write down three names. Anybody like need a pen? And they're like, I'm in a sea of a bunch of people that don't have pens. All right, you need, this guy needs a pen up top. Somebody wants to help him out? Just turn around. Yeah, it's going. Yeah, it's headed up your way. There you go. We got pens. All right, perfect. This is great. All right, so here, here's what I want you to do. All right, if you're not in Mark 5 already, join me there. And what I want you to do is I want you to take this list that you've just created here, and I want you to set it on the page opposite of the text because I want you to have it in like full eyesight this morning, that as we're reading this text together, your eyes can go back and forth from this list back to this text. Because what we're doing here as we're walking through the gospel of Mark together is we're focusing on these encounters that Jesus had with people on his way to the cross. And what God's going to do today is he's going to confront our impossible list. And what he's going to confront are the limitations that we've placed on his power and what he can do and he's going to shatter those. I think he's going to make us people of big faith again today. And then once he's done that, once he's confronted our impossible list and then confronted the limitations that we place on him and made us people of big faith, then what he's going to do is he'll blow our minds <laughs> in like a totally new way. And so keep this list handy. But what we have here in Mark chapter 5 is the story of a man. We don't know his name, but we know his misery. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record in their gospels the account of Jesus's encounter with this man, and each one provides a different touch of color. There's four things that Mark wants us to know about this man and his condition as he meets Jesus. First of all, the first thing we find out is that he has an unclean 
or maybe some of your translations say impure or evil spirit. He's demon-possessed. Luke adds the additional detail that for a long time, which seems to indicate that it hadn't always been like this, but for a long time, this man had been controlled by this demon. The next thing we find out about this man is that he lived in the tombs. He lived in the graveyard. The demon that controlled him had pulled him away from society, had pulled him away from people. He was socially isolated. He was a living person living among the dead. And not only is he isolated, uh, Luke adds on another detail that he adds a little color is that he's also naked. For a long time, he'd not worn any clothes. So not only is he isolated, he's completely exposed, naked. He's been robbed of personal dignity and basic comforts. I mentioned basic comforts because the weather where he's at could range all the way up to scorching temperatures in the summer of over 100 degrees to freezing temperatures in the winter of the low 30s. Add to all this, his strength was terrifying. I want you to circle a word in verse 4. Find the word often and circle it. Often he had been bound. Church, think about this. What are the things in our world that we have to, to bind up and restrain? Right? Only dangerous animals have to be bound, controlled, restrained. Add on to it in verse 3, it says that they, they, they used to be able to restrain him, but now they couldn't restrain him anymore. He had moved to a level where he was uncontrollable in his strength. That's what I mean, that he was terrifying in his power. That now when they would put chains on him, they would be like a paper chain that he would just break free from. It was like nothing for him. So you literally have a naked man living in a graveyard that is terrifyingly strong, and then Mark gives us one more awful picture of this man's situation. In verse 5, it says that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and shouting and screaming and cutting himself with stones. I've racked my brain now for about two to three weeks in regard to this man's story. I don't know of any person whose life circumstances in the Bible were worse than this guy's. Maybe you can think of one. I can't. And I just want to pause for a bit, and I want you to feel this like I've been feeling this for weeks now because I've had to pause and go, this is a person. This is like a fellow human being here, right? This is somebody's son. You know, what if it was my son? This is somebody's son. This is somebody's grandson. This is possibly somebody's brother or, or friend. And, and more than all that, if you flip this man over, you would see stamped on his backside, handcrafted by God. You would see that he is knit together like all of us are, fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He, he bears the imago Dei, the, the image of God, that he would declare the glory of God, that he would delight in the goodness of God, that he would have relationship with God and walk with God. 
That's why he was created. We got to feel that. But it's here, like in this moment, that all of a sudden Satan's agenda for this man and Jesus' agenda for this man collide. It's sickening to think about, but guys, I, I cannot overstate Satan's joy in the torment of this man. Think about that. For any person or anything to look at the situation of this man and to find delight. But Satan did. In contrasting his mission with Satan's, Jesus said that Satan's mission is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus' mission is that we would have life and have it abundantly. So when we look at the world and we see things like cancer and mental illness, fentanyl overdoses, broken homes, broken hearts, bitterness, war, injustice, lying, hatred, prejudice, hurting, these are the things, this is like how Satan gets his kicks, right? This is, this is what fills his heart and makes him feel full. But it's in moments like this that we can see the goodness of Jesus all the more clearly when we're able to hold it against the backdrop of something else, can we not? Satan loves this man's torment. He loves the awful things of this world and Jesus hates it. And he has something better for this man. As we worship a good God, amen? Man. So here's what happens. I call this the encounter moment. But Jesus gets out of the boat, and in verse 6 it says that when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, knelt down before him. Now, I want to, like, this is an odd distinction to, to make, but I want to ask the question, who's doing the running, who's doing the kneeling, who's doing the talking here? Is it the man or is it the demonic spirit? Like just pause for a moment, like ask yourself that question. Like who's, who's doing this here? When it says, you know, when he saw Jesus from a distance. Because as you keep reading, what you'll notice is that it's, it's the demonic spirit that's running to Jesus, that's bowing before Jesus, that's talking before Jesus. And this was normal. Just two chapters before this, Jesus has an interaction with an unclean spirit. And Mark writes that whenever, like this is just what always happened. Whenever an unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. This is just normal. They know who Jesus is. Demons have better theology than we do. They've been enemies for a long time. And the bowing that takes place here is not a worshipful bowing. It is a picture of undeniable authority. If at first what we saw was the goodness of Jesus, now we see the power of Jesus. That even in their resistance of Jesus and pushing him away, they could not deny his lordship in their lives. And the same is true for us, by the way. I just want to like, make sure that this is abundantly clear, right? Because in this brief moment that you have in life, you can either surrender to Jesus or you can resist him. But regardless of what you do, 
Eventually, every knee will bow before Jesus, either in worship or in judgment. Everybody will hit their faces before him. You just decide if you want to do that now in worship or you want to hold that off and do that in judgment. That's, that's the reality here. You cannot resist his lordship over all. And we see that here. But now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to take this fear-mongering, tormenting spirit that had just ravaged this man's life for years and he's going to put the fear of God in him. So this is the conversation. I want to read this together. So then he, the demonic spirit, cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. Jesus asked him. My name is Legion. He answered him because we are many. It's at this point in this encounter that Mark makes something clear that he actually had been withholding from us to this point. This man isn't just possessed by one evil spirit, by one demon. He's possessed by many. How, how many? We don't know exactly, but that word legion was a Roman military term to refer to what would be at full strength 6,000 soldiers. And they beg Jesus not to send them out of the region, but spotting a large herd of pigs. They say, send us to the pigs. Jesus says, go. And immediately they go into the pigs. They rush down the steep bank into the waters. And within minutes, 2,000 corpses are floating across the surface of the waters of the sea. Guys, we have to be humble here. And I got to be humble here. There's a lot here I don't, I don't know, right? Like if you're like, tell me more about demons. I go, I really don't know that much. Uh, it really, the Bible doesn't tell us that much about it. Like, basically what we know about the Bible is like, we know enough about demons to know that they are real, that they are terrifying and powerful, but yet that they too sit under the sovereign hand of God and under his authority. We know those things. I also don't know why Jesus granted their request. Like, why when they're like, hey, send us into the pigs and not out of the region, like, he didn't just like vanquish them like, like this. I, I don't know. I if you read Matthew's account, one of the things that he adds in there is that they ask Jesus the question, hey, have you come to torment us before our time? That's kind of an extra detail there. If you read Luke's account of this encounter, uh, they beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. That's also what they are begging Jesus. And so possibly the reason that Jesus didn't vanquish them in that moment is he knows and they know judgment's coming soon enough. It's coming. All these things I don't know, but here is the thing that is absolutely clear. And I hope you caught this. Jesus is unrivaled in power. Unrivaled in power. What had been to that point, I mean, it was impossible for any human being, right? They could not restrain. They could not control. They could not change this man's circumstances. No human being could do anything. What was impossible for man is nothing for Jesus. Jesus in this moment took the most terrifying collection of powerful demonic spirits that we've ever encountered in the scriptures. Like he takes in that moment, the most powerful collection of demonic spirits and reduces them to nothing with one word, one word, go, go.
You still got this? Look at it with me, okay? Because this is the point in this encounter when Jesus not only is confronting Satan's agenda, he's confronting our impossible list. It's true. If saving these people, seeing these names, these people come to relationship with Jesus Christ is up to me, to my abilities, to my strength, to my words and my powers and what I can do, there's no chance anything's going to change for them. But what's impossible for us is possible for God. And if this text does anything this morning, the first work I want it to do on us is for us to take God out of this little box that we placed him in and, and let him out and recognize that he can do immeasurably more than you could ask, dream, or imagine. I want this morning for this text to inspire from us a fresh faith that what would erupt from us is a restoked faith that ignites a firestorm of fresh prayer and persistent prayer that believes that God not only hears you when you pray, but he responds when you pray. And he responds, he aligns the sovereign movements of his hands to the prayers of his people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God not only can save these people, but will save these people? I believe he will. I believe he will. Because I know that he delights to respond to the prayers of his people. I've seen that and experienced that. But there's more. Because we pick up in verse 14, and this is where things get weird. Because seeing all that's happened here, this part just kind of throws me off. So verse 14 says this, the men who tended them, I assume tended the pigs, ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demonic the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs, and they began to worship Jesus with reverential awe and sat before him with trembling. Right? Is that, is that what it says? And what does it say? They begged him to leave their region. They, they begged him to leave their region. I think this is an incredibly revealing moment for us and for our world. Here's what I mean. If you were to pull out a scalpel and cut open and dissect unbelief, human unbelief and go, why? Why, why is it that so many people reject Jesus? Why? This gets at the core of it. The number one reason why people reject Jesus is not because there's a lack of evidence or proof. It's not that. It's because Jesus makes us uncomfortable. It's because Jesus alters the status quo. He impacts our livelihood. He challenges the way that we live. He calls us to do things that we don't want to do. He says things that we don't want to hear. Like, if the Jesus that you worship 
isn't a little terrifying, isn't a little too big for your minds, doesn't make you a little uncomfortable from time to time, you're not worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping a version of Jesus that you've manufactured and made up in your mind, put in this little box and like tucked into a part of your closet. Like that's the Jesus that you worship. That's not real Jesus. Because the real Jesus is a little too big. It's gonna make you a little uncomfortable. It's gonna say things you don't wanna hear. He's going to call you to do things you don't want to do. The issue here is not an issue of evidence. It's a hard issue. But, but if Jesus showed up, like if, if he showed up, Cody, like right now, if he showed up in my life and he did something crazy, something undeniable, I would worship him. Like, no, you wouldn't. That's not true. These people, like... What had happened in front of them was undeniable. It was absolutely and abundantly clear to them who Jesus was, and they didn't want him. They didn't want him. It's easy in this text to spot the first tragedy. It's often missed the second tragedy of this text. And it's a tragedy that we see unfold around us all the time with person after person. Rejecting Jesus, claiming, oh, I don't know if I, if I understand this, or this, this doesn't make sense, or I need this evidence, or whatever. It's not that. It's just that Jesus is too big, and they don't have room for him in their lives. It's revealing, isn't it? Now, that's true for everyone in this story. I mean, everyone in this story doesn't want Jesus at this point because he makes them too uncomfortable. That's true for everybody in this story, but one guy. One guy. As Jesus was getting onto the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Amazed. If you got a pen, again, there's another word to circle today. Amazed. That's a key theme in the Gospel of Mark. 16 times in the Gospel of Mark, the word amazed or astonished or astounded will be used in describing people's response to Jesus. They were amazed, they were astounded, they were astonished. Because what Mark's doing with his gospel, if you read his gospel and compare it to Luke's gospel, John's, Matthew's, Mark's just, he's just to the point. It's, it's shorter, it's a shorter gospel. He's just to the point. And his desire is to just overwhelm you with stories about Jesus that cause you to go, wow. What in the world was that? You know, and just did like over and over again that you'd walk away reading this going, Jesus is amazing. And all three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, writing about this encounter, the story that goes before this story, you got your Bible, just look back at it. The story that precedes this story in all of those gospel accounts is when Jesus, with one word, commands the winds and the waves to stop. And they stop. You know the story? Jesus is sleeping. They're in the boat. They're getting rocked all over the place. He's still sleeping. They're freaking out. He looks up and goes, guys, where is your faith? 
rebukes the wind and the waves. They stop and they look at each other like, who is this? And it's like Mark is doing here. He's like, oh, if you think that's something, watch what happens next, you know? Because now you have another moment here where you're like, who is this? Right? That not only do the wind and the waves obey him, but like demonic spirits, like the, the forces of evil obey him. With one word, who is this? We're supposed to read a story like this and walk away in awe of Jesus's goodness and of his power. But I don't even think that's the most amazing part of this whole text. I think the most mind-blowing part of this whole encounter is what he does with the demon-possessed man after he's healed him. Because it wasn't just enough for Jesus to save him. He sends him. I find it incredibly interesting that four times in this encounter, the word begged gets used. And every time in this encounter that somebody begged Jesus, the spirits begged Jesus not to send them out of the region, but to send them into the pigs. He goes, okay. The next time we see begged was all the people in the surrounding countryside begged Jesus to leave the region. He's like, okay, I'll leave. And then you have this man begging Jesus that he might remain with him. And Jesus goes, no. Like of all the people in this entire encounter that get denied, the demon-possessed guy is the guy that gets denied. No. He commands him to go. He has a better plan for him. And the demon-possessed man went off and told his story in the Decapolis. The word Decapolis means 10 cities. The 10 cities are Gerasa, Scythopolis, Hippus, Gadara, Pella, Philadelphia, Capitolius, Canatha, Raphana, and Damascus. Jesus never went to these cities, but his name did. Because a naked, graveyard squatter, man with cuts all over his arms and demons in his past told his story. Like, let this hit you for a moment. One of the people that God used to get the gospel to you is this guy. This guy. This has been the way that Jesus has planned to reach the entire world with his name from the very beginning, it was to do impossible works and send out the most unlikely missionaries. This is just what he does. You look at this list and go, there's no way God could save these people. God looks at this list and the names that you wrote down and goes, actually, I see missionaries. Do you believe that? Do you have faith for that? That God not only wants to save these people, but actually wants to send these people. How do I know that, guys? I know that because I was the demon-possessed man at a time. I was the person that somebody, if you had said, hey, write out your impossible list, Cody would have been one of them. How many people would have had this guy on their list, right? So many people had me on their list. But what God did to the power of Jesus Christ, this is what Colossians 1.13 says, this is why I could say we all relate to this guy 
Because Colossians 1.13 states this, that in the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That word domain means this is a place where this person has uncontested rule and reign. And there's two domains, there's two kingdoms. You're either living in Satan's kingdom or Jesus's kingdom. And when I was born and when I walked in rebellion against God, I lived in Satan's domain and he had rule and reign over everything in my life and tormented me. For those that it's been a while since you were like not a Christian, do you, can you like go back and remember what that was like before you knew Christ and how Satan would mess with you? It baffles me when I've got somebody sitting in front of me and they're trying to decide if they want Jesus or not. I'm like, don't wait too long. I mean, you're living in Satan's domain. There's no like middle ground here. Like, why would you stay here? But by the grace of God, when Jesus entered my life and I trusted him, I placed my faith in him as a 16-year-old, what he did in that moment through the power of Jesus Christ is he transferred me from this kingdom where I was tormented and under the rule and reign of Satan and moved me into the kingdom of the Son of God and to Jesus' world. And that was my new reality. And then when I begged Jesus just to let me stay with him, he looked at me and said, nah, I got something better for you. I want you to go and I want you to tell your story. And then he made this promise to me. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. My brothers and sisters, that's not just my story. That's your story. That's our story. That Jesus has done an impossible work in us and wants to send us out as the most unlikely missionaries. One more time. You got it? Do you believe that God is powerful enough to save these people? You believe that? Here's the next question then. Is it possible that God wants to use you to change their story? And maybe you get frustrated at that point and you're like, I just wish Jesus would come back because I'm sure if this person just encountered Jesus, that would change their life forever. And again, Jesus is like, no, no, no. Again, I have something better than that. What they're gonna do is they're gonna encounter me in you and through your life. That's my plan, that I will fill you with my promised Holy Spirit. And that's how they're gonna come to know me is through you. I just wanna pause for a moment. I'm gonna create just a little moment of prayer because I want you looking at this list and I want you to sincerely just hands open before the Lord to ask, God, what is the role you want me to play in this person's story?
You know, church, I, I found myself yesterday as I was just reflecting one more time again on this text, just wondering about time. And what I mean is, I was just curious when Jesus looked at the man who had just had his life changed by him and said, I just, I just want to be with you a little bit longer. He says, can I be with you? And Jesus says, no, I want you to go if the man hesitated. Like how much time passed as he had to sit there and digest what Jesus had just told him. And I wonder if what filled his mind is like, what do I say, you know? What if they laugh at me? What if they think I'm ridiculous? What if they don't believe me? You know, like I, I just begin to wonder, like, like, did he hesitate? And I don't know, I mean, my imagination kind of went off from there, but I, I have to believe that maybe there was that moment of pause But then this confidence. I know the work of God in my life and I've experienced his power. And at that going, you know, if I've got those two things, I've got, I've got enough to go and to make him known. You've got a story to tell. You've experienced the power of God and what he's able to do with impossible people. Don't now put limitations on him and go, well, I, he did it in me. I don't know if he could do it in anybody else. Don't do that. But now move forward with boldness and courage to go, no, I know what my Lord and Savior can do with a word. And I know he wants to do it again. Yeah, church, let's pray. Yeah, Father, Psalm 211 calls us to serve you with reverential awe and to rejoice with trembling. And Father, I want to confess before you that Far too often in my life, there has not been enough awe in me. And God, we just want to say we're sorry for that. That today, we're going to take you out of the box that we've put you in, this box that we're kind of comfortable with, that kind of fits neatly for us and all this. We're going to let you out of the box and let you be who you are, which is mind-blowingly awesome. And Father, I don't, I don't know the names on everybody's list. I know the names on mine. Wow. And Father, I'm asking for you today to move in unrivaled power that you would take people that are so dear to me and that you would transfer them by faith from the domain of darkness into a new and better kingdom. And Father, my hands are open. Whatever role you want me to play, my yes and our yes is on the table. Do a great and exceedingly and unimaginable work among us and through us. We ask and pray. Amen.
This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.